0: I love your pastor so much. Um, he's one of my pastors. I tithe to your church. Just, just so you know, I'm one of you. Okay? That's how much I love your church. I, I put my money where my mouth is. Um, I, uh, it's, a, it's a real privilege uh, to be here. I think that uh, Pastor Jude is uh, one of the, the greatest pastors alive. Yeah. I sincerely believe that. I'm not just saying that. Um, yeah. There's something on his life that is just unique. And one day when he's going to be with heaven, um, the world will be worse for that. Um, he's just, you're, you're, living, you're, you're getting to go to a church um, the guy's a revivalist. People are going to write books about him. Um, he's, he's a freak. And he just did a course uh, for our, we have this, so I, I, I'm, I'm the founder of this kind of online Bible college. My idea was basically, I, I lived in New York City for um, for eight years. I'm a Canadian. Uh, go figure. Um, anyways, long story short, I was in, in New York for eight years and I was at a church there. And I had never seen people struggle financially the way that I saw New Yorkers struggle. I didn't even know that that existed in America, or in you know in North America. And so my thought was, what if there was like a Bible college, but it was like the cost of Netflix? Um, And so we, my brother and my brother-in-law and I, we created Theosu, and it's this. That's exactly what it is. It's sort of like Netflix but for theology. And um, long story short. Um, bless you. Um, we were all thinking it. <laughs> I hope it's not COVID. That's, rid- that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I'm sorry. I don't know who it was, but I'm sorry. That was a cheap joke. Low hanging fruit. That's ridiculous. Nathan, stop it. Um, I'm sorry. I have a spirit of mischief and I don't want it cast out. So, so my, my dad, my dad is an MFI pastor. Okay. Part of a, of a, a pastor's network that pastor Wendell uh, Smith was a part of. Um, and so my dad pastors there long story short, I, I went to Bible college in Portland, Oregon, uh, at Frank DiMaggio's church. Um, and then I went to, uh, a youth pastors, my dad for a number of years. Um, Pastor Jude, this whole time, I used to go to these youth conferences and he was youth pastoring at the time, Wendell, and he just made a huge impact on my life. I think he's one of the reasons why I'm in ministry. And so long story short, I go down to New York and I see this and I'm like, man, I want people to uh, to, to 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 be able to access theology and, and it not be such an elitist thing. Um, and so we create this thing. Long story short, I get Pastor Jude to, Teach a sermon uh, or a, a series for Theosu. Um, we have about 7,000 students, and about half of them are pastors from all over the world. Um, and um, and so uh, he taught a course, and he he titled it, or I think we titled it this, but it was a, I asked him, Pastor Jude, could you teach a course on discipleship because you are a master discipler? Um, it's like it's his thing, dude. He knows how to make a, of somebody who's decided to be a Christian, a Christian. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, he's a deci- so, he, so he teaches this amazing course, and it, we called it How to Be a Monk. How to Be a Monk. He's, Pastor Jude is a monk. That's what he is. He prays and he reads the Bible and, that's, and works out. <laughs> okay. His spirit and his natural man are strong. Um, and so... Uh, it's so and, and you see it in his life right and and so he teaches us, and this course is blowing up um, and pastors all over the world are being we getting we're getting like text messages and calls and emails, and people tagging us online and going, This course is changing my life and so I just want to say um, I, I love him and um and this is a long and roundabout way of just saying thank you for um, thank you for being City Church California and thank you for loving him and thank you for sending him for a much needed break uh, when, I, when I found out that he was going you know, to Europe for, for two months I'm like thank God uh, because there's so much in you, you know, there's, there's a lot of miles left in Pastor Jude Fuque and the world needs him and I know that Ventura needs him but, but the world needs him too um, so anyhow that's my preamble I want to share um, something with you. Uh, uh, this, if, th- we're going to call this talk, Get a Better Bike. Get a better bike. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. This is sort of a, a big idea, uh, my, my, my big idea, and then I'm going to flesh it out a little bit. Um, but you'd probably know this one. Now abide faith, hope, and love but the greatest of these are, is love, right? Faith, hope, love. Faith, hope, love is like the, the basic components to the Christian walk. It's like the basic things. Faith, hope, love. If you got those three things going for you, you're a Christian. Okay? That's, and I think every now and then it's good to kind of kick the tires on your spirituality and go, how's my faith doing? How's my hope doing? How's my love doing? Now, Paul the Apostle, when he writes to the churches, so he was a pastor of a bunch of churches. Okay, He was like their, he was the apostle, the, the pastor of pastors. And when he would write to these churches, he kind of runs this diagnosis on each church. How's your faith doing? How's your hope doing? How's your love doing? And we're gonna look at three churches today. Each of them have a faith or a hope, or a love issue, okay? Now, we can run this diagnostic, not just on, on City Church, California, and I know that you're gonna pass with flying colors, okay? But we can also run this individually on our life, okay? How's my faith doing? How's my hope doing? How's my love doing? Now, I think of the faith, hope, love um, as the basic components to like a bicycle. Hence, how, you know, get a better bike, okay? Um, my thought is that faith is the framework. It's the, it's the thing, it's like the design and the framework of the thing, okay? Um, and then uh, hope is like the, um, the pedals and, and, and the chain, okay? It's, it's the energy. Hope is the reason why you get out of bed in the morning, okay? It powers that thing, um, We are living in hope of the return of Christ, in hope of the judgment day. You hearing me? We're we're in hope of of eternal reward. You hearing me? Right? Like a farmer sows in hope. Okay, and so that's what we're doing. Our lives are—we're sowing our lives in hope. Okay, and then and then you've got love, which is the aim of the entire. It's the steering mechanism, right? And it's the whole point. Of 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 the faith and the hope, right? It's it's the direction that we're headed in. Okay, um, so <laughs> faith, hope, love. You got a bike, okay? Now sometimes you need to get a better bike because life can be really hard on your faith, on your hope, and on your love. I lived in New York, as I said, for eight years, and New York City is horrible to bicycles. <laughs> I don't know what it's like here in Ventura. Um, But I remember my brother, he had lived in New York City some three years before I moved there, and we were talking on the phone, and he was like, oh my gosh, and I'm like, what happened? And he's like, I just saw a cab driver just cream a dude on a bicycle, and he went like eight feet up in the sky, and I'm like, that's nuts, and I remember making a mental note, I will never ride a bicycle in New York City. Three years later, I moved to New York, my first year there. Um, And I'm at this church there, and there was a key volunteer, a really sweet young lady, and she got hit on her bicycle in Brooklyn on her way to work by a dump truck, and she did not live. Um, Really, really, really sad. It was horrible. Mental note number two, I will never ride a bicycle in New York City, right? Um, Then uh, city bikes came in. You know, and I don't know if you know what a city bike is, but it's like this thing where you can, like, rent a bike. And I'm like, no, I will not rent a bike. I will walk. (laughs) Walking is dangerous still, but safer, you know. Uh, New York is, I mean, only tourists are dumb enough to to, to rent a city bike. (laughs) You know, because you don't see how people drive in that city. It's Crazy dude, it's insane, dude. I lived in the right in. I lived in Manhattan. I was in Soho for three years. I was in the East Village for three years. West Village for a couple of years. I've seen a lot of crazy stuff, okay? Um, and it's usually involving bicycles. Now, <laughs> I remember watching this. This not not only do you like the, your first task is just to survive your commute as a New Yorker, right? Then, secondly, if you did survive your commute, you have to do something with your bicycle, right? Chain it up, protect it, whatever. Well, um, I remember watching this, this show, and it was one of those practical Joker shows. And this dude was trying to make a point about how, how unsafe uh, New York bicycles are. And so he chained his bicycle up. It's his bike, and he gets a buddy across the street to video him trying to, like, Break through his own lock and see if anybody in New York would care. Um, and so, you know, he's picking at the lock, and people, you know, are just walking by and nobody cares. Then he gets like these giant like plier, like sharp scissor thingies, bolt cutters, thank you. And he's like bolt cutting his own lock and nobody cares. Then like he's he gets this obnoxious, huge like buzz saw. And there's sparks flying all over the place, and I'm, listening to this, a cop walks by, does not care, does not care, didn't even look, and it's like, and that is New York, I used to tell my friends, what does a New York hipster's girlfriend, no, a Brooklyn, that's, that's the one, a Brooklyn dwelling hipster's girlfriend get for Christmas, your bike, that's what she gets, New York is like this graveyard. If you walk down 14th Street, you'll see it. it's like there's these what once was a bicycle chained, you know, to to uh, uh, a tree or whatever. It's just littered with pieces of bicycles. And life is like that. Life is like that. Our faith gets destroyed. Our hope gets stolen. Our love gets mangled. This week, I, I felt the Holy Spirit convicting me about attitudes that I had. You ever had that when you're just like, I, I literally, I, I, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, that spirit is not of me, and I'm like, ouch. You know? Now I was playing Fortnite. <laughs> Generally, it's when I'm driving. I turn into a Vietnam sailor when I drive. It is, all of the fruit of the Spirit falls off my tree. It's unbelievable. It's like, that's, that is not my spirit. That is another spirit. Lord, I'm sorry. Fill me with your spirit. Um, and we, we have to do these we have to. So, so today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to run this diagnostic, okay? And I'm going to go as fast as I can through these three churches. But we need to be. Um, we're not going to be exhaustive uh, or exhausting, but we need to be thorough. So, um, so here we go. Uh, Paul's writing to the Romans, and we're going to uh, throw this, this this verse up. And this is a key verse for the for for the book of Romans. Romans 1.17. I think we have it on the screens. Look at that. It's beautiful. Um, I am going to turn around and read it. Here we go. Oh, for Okay, so so Paul opens up and he he, he says, "Hey, I'm your boss. I I'm, I'm Paul the apostle, called by Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard of him? He's sort of, he's sort of a big deal. So he gave me this job. And so I guess that's means that should mean something to you. I'm your boss from Jesus." So, there is that. <laughs> it's a pretty good, you know, like introduction, you know, like um and then he says, uh you know, I, I and I, I love you guys. I'm coming, and I, and I believe in your church. And there's some great things. And then he begins to talk about the gospel. You know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because he's he's going to start to go into the gospel in Romans one. And if you've read Romans one in its entirety, it gets pretty spicy. Okay, but he's going. I'm not going. I'm not. I'm not ashamed of what I'm about to say. The world has a sin problem, but there's a there's a Jesus fix. Okay, so. But he says this, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation for everybody who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And then he says this, for in it the righteousness of God, and the righteousness of God is the theme for the book of Romans. The kaiosune is the Greek word if you want to get really fancy there. You can get that tattooed on your back. <laughs> in it the righteousness of God. So the question that Paul's going to argue for essentially 12 chapters of the, of the 16 is how does one become righteous? How do you get righteous? How do you get in right standing with God? And so he's going to, he's, so he's on a mission here. Um, and this is just a, a, an incredible, um, continuous polemic that he's going to write. It's, it's brilliant. And so, he says this, in the righteous, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, or some versions say from faith to faith. It's just, it's a, it's a faith journey. It's always going in faith. You never, you never kind of stop doing the faith thing. Uh, you got to have faith, 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 like the song goes. It's, as it is written, and so then Paul's going to make an Old Testament precedent here. For, the, for some of the readers, it's going to be important for them. The righteous shall live by faith, or the just shall live by faith. That's, that's what makes you just, not your ethnic background. Which the Jews are going to be like, what, what, come again? Because the Jews are saying, and their, their big thing is, well, I'm saved because I'm Abraham's seed. Well, in Romans chapter 4, Paul's going to go, yeah, so everybody who believes in Jesus is of, this, of the seed of Abraham. That's how that works. Um, so the first first four chapters of the book of Romans kind of go like this. Romans chapter one, so he he explains his big idea. Guys, I'm going to talk about righteousness and it's all about faith. And then he's going to start to just go in on the Gentiles. He begins to just go up one side of them and down the other. If you've read Romans chapter one, you know what I'm talking about. He's going to problematize their character. He's going to say, you Gentiles, you have problems. And then in Romans chapter two, he's going to say, you Jews... You have problems. And then in Romans chapter 3, he's going to go, all of us, we got problems. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And then in Romans chapter 4, he's going to begin the salvation story. And he's going to go, okay, so there's this guy named Abraham. And Abraham believed God, and he was accounted to him for righteousness. That's how Abraham, how did Abraham become the father of faith, the, 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 the righteousness of God? He became righteous when he just believed God. So righteousness isn't about helping an old lady across the street with her groceries. Although that's a good thing to do. Right? Doing the Beatitudes won't save you. They are an ethic of gratitude because you've been saved by grace. You hearing me? Radical nonviolence and not eating meat is not going to save you. You hearing me? That's all just in the literal Greek, dirty underwear. That's what Paul calls it. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. That's literally what that means. Here, God, here's my best day. Yeah, you keep that. That's, That's nice but your best stinks so i'm going to have to be, always be the one that takes care of you covers you forgives you so just believe me that's faith faith is god i trust you this doesn't make sense but i'm not going to rely on my own understanding in all my ways i'm going to acknowledge you that's faith it's it's not a, it's not faith isn't guesswork It's not a leap of faith. Faith is responding to a real person's initiative word. Faith comes by hearing. hearing. So I have faith in Jesus because Jesus is, he exists and he has words and I can have faith in his words. Faith comes by hearing. It's not assumptive. In Romans chapter 14... This is the, um, the occasion for the writing. The, book, the church in Rome is an ethnically divided church. Um, the way that the church in Rome probably came to be was that in Acts chapter 1 and 2, you remember the Holy Spirit's poured out on the, on the, on the church? Uh, the time that the Holy Spirit was poured out was the, was the day of Pentecost, 50 days after, after Passover. During Passover... There were a ton of people who were Jewish, but they lived throughout the Mediterranean. They had pilgrimaged to Jerusalem. It was required for a, a, a law-keeping Jew, Jewish male, to pilgrimage to Jerusalem one, once in his life during the Passover. And he would stay well after Pentecost, okay? And so the, the, it's, it's rumored that the, the town of Jerusalem would swell like it would double in size because that's how many Jews would be from the, all around the Mediterranean, the diaspora is what they're called. They would come back to Jerusalem and they would, you know, see friends, see family, hang out, party, you know, do, I don't know, do Jewish male things. And um, so if you remember the story of the church, the Holy Spirit falls on 120. They start speaking in tongues, yabba dabba do. But... It's not just yabba yabba do, it's glossolalia. They're speaking other people's languages unbeknownst to them. And they're preaching the gospel. And so they, 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 they come out of the, the upper room and they're, they seem drunk, but, and, and they sort of are drunk because they're full of the Holy Spirit and they're just yabba dabba do, but they're speaking all these different languages. And people in the Mediterranean who are visiting, they're Jews, they're visiting and they speak other languages, they're going, they're hearing the gospel and they're going, oh my gosh. So that day, 3,000 men are added to the church. Well, those guys go home, and they start churches. And that's how the church in Rome would have been established. It would have been a Jewish-feeling church, like Christian churches in the 80s. In the 80s, every church like, sang like Jewish-sounding songs. We had prayer shawls. Um, all that stuff. So, in AD 19, the Emperor Tiberius, he evicted the Jews from Rome. The Jews frustrated Roman emperors because they were monotheistic. And the empire, although it recognized Judaism as an official religion to try to appease and and coerce the Jews, the Jews wouldn't play ball. And so they wouldn't, because the Romans were like, hey, you know, you can believe whatever you want, but you have to say that Caesar is Lord. And they're like, yeah, we're never going to do that. So Tiberius is like, these guys suck, you're out. (laughs) Tiberius dies, and another emperor lets them back in. Then in AD 42, I want to say, I believe that's correct, uh, the emperor Claudius, and we read about this in the book of Acts as well, not just in Roman history, The Emperor Claudius, once again, he has an issue with the Jews and he expels them from Rome. So what I'm getting at here, and this is the occasion for Priscilla and Aquila, they they are evicted from Rome and they go to Corinth and they meet Paul there. It It is possible that Priscilla and Aquila are one of the founding members of the Roman church. They're these Roman Jews. And so long story short, these Jews are evicted. They go elsewhere. Then they come back and the gentiles are running their church and they're swinging from the chandeliers and then there's, there's you know they're not singing the jewish songs anymore nothing sounds like Havana Gila. <laughs> it sounds like coldplay and you too <laughs> right and it's and 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 to make matters worse these guys they're eating meat that's offered to idols because the gentiles are like whatever dude like it's We don't believe, we believe in Jesus. We don't believe in these. And we we happen to like pork, you know? It's delicious. (laughs) And they're drinking Roman wine. Roman wine was, the Romans invented the the process of fining. Um, If you're into viticulture, you'd probably know this. Um, Until 1993, I believe all European wines were fined with dried ox blood. Um, And now they use eggs, but you can use, you can use, uh, you, you can get, vegan wines and kosher wines that are not fine with animal products. Well, the Romans invented that. Jews can't do that. They can't drink wine that's been made with blood. It's like a big no-no for them. Um, And so the the Gentiles are eating meat. They're drinking wine. And on top of all that, they've not been circumcised. And that's a big deal. That's That's a deal breaker for the Jews. Imagine, just to contextualize this, for a second, imagine that we had the ushers at the churches. You're coming in, and they're going, "Hi, welcome to church. Are you circumcised?" <laughs> and you're like, uh, "Come again?" You know? And they're like, "Yeah. Are you? Has your yuho been? You know?" I'm like my yu, you, my, you have no business knowing about my yuho. It's like, well, actually you know, there's a side room over here and we're going to have to check. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, uh, how about not? <laughs> right. We laugh because it's ridiculous. Paul has to create a theology because this church is completely divided over what saves you, what makes you righteous. And so Paul's going to write in Romans 4, was Abraham justified before Or after he was circumcised? And the answer is before. Craziness. These are issues of faith. Now, issues of faith continue to divide the church today. Romans 14, Paul's saying, guys, like, you shouldn't be divided over food and drink. Right, like, you know, some, I mean, America had prohibition, you know, some, what, 80 years ago, 100 years ago. In Canada, we didn't have prohibition. We made a lot of, a lot of money. <laughs> Selling Canadian rye. Um, but, you know, in the American church, you'd probably know this, there's Christians that don't drink. Because they believe it's the devil's juice. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm making light of it. I'm sorry, it's, I'm Canadian. It sucks. I'm sorry, um, but I get it. I, under, I understand the, the biblical warnings. Okay, um, and and there's some Christians that do. And and imagine there's churches that are literally divided over this. And and what the, the problem is in Romans fourteen, Paul's saying, guys, it's it, this is it's, this is this. The whole journey is faith to faith. You weren't justified by drinking wine or not drinking wine or being circumcised or if you watch Yellowstone or you don't watch Yellowstone or if you read Harry Potter or you don't watch Harry Potter. That's, that, you hear me? These, these are not salvation issues. Now, they might be important issues, important to you, but it doesn't save you. Also, uh, I don't report to you. And Paul literally says that verbatim in in Romans 14. Why are you judging another man's servant? He doesn't doesn't give report to you. He he gives report to God. And then Paul will warn the person who drinks and, and eats meat. Look, if your conscience doesn't condemn you and you have faith for it, awesome. But if you don't have faith for it, don't do it. Because... Whatever is not of faith is sin. Whoa. That's a huge definition of what a sin is in those gray areas. You know what I mean? Like the Bible doesn't cover every single sin. But how about, try that on for size. That what, you know, maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit just convicted me about something that he's not convicting you about because he knows my heart and my, my idols and my issues. you hearing me? My propensities, my procl- you hearing me? A church cannot be divided over faith issues. So, hear from God, get a word from the Lord, have faith for whatever it is. That you, if you're going to watch Mickey Mouse, have, you know, take your kids to Disneyland, that's a big one. Yes. How dare you? Disney is it's the mark of the beast. You know, look, everybody's everything's the mark of the beast these days right point here is you have faith for it or you don't have faith for it but the church shouldn't be divided over these issues right you got faith for the vaccine get the vaccine you don't have faith for the vaccine don't get the vaccine but it's not going to divide our church you hearing me On a side note, I got vaccinated and then I got COVID. (laughs) It's funny how that works. I'm the only one in my family that's vaccinated, of course. I got it. Okay, moving on to the next church the Corinthians. The Corinthians are the worst church in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 11, I believe verse 17, Paul says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. When you do church, everybody has to go home and take a shower. That's how bad your church is. The sternest warnings in the New Testament are to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, because they're so divided, they're really, really selfish. Spiritually gifted, but spiritually immature. Most spiritually gifted church in the New Testament, but the most spiritually immature. Because everything is about them. And it's causing division because they lack love. Now, if I was Paul, number one, um, I would have never written them a letter, to be quite honest with you. There's weird stuff that's going on in this church. Weird, weird, weird stuff that's going on in this church. Um, but sternest warnings, 1 Corinthians 3, if you divide the church, God will destroy you. That's Thank you. That's encouraging. Um, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, eat at the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner, you're going to die. So, okay, great. Um, so this church obviously has some serious problems. Uh, Now, 1 Corinthians 12 is all about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14 is all about spiritual gifts. And 1 Corinthians 13 is about love. It's it's the meat, right? The bread is the spiritual gifts. The meat is the love chapter. And you see, if if I was Paul, okay, so I, I write the letter, I would have told them, hey, no more spiritual gifts. Everybody, you're, you're Like people are prophesying over one another. You're using your gifts as like some way to promote, just, like self-promotion. It's like that's not what the, the point of the spiritual gifts are about. But rather, he, he actually speaks on the spiritual gifts and he'll, he'll encourage them. So he comes out of, of 1 Corinthians 13, the, which is a love chapter, you know, and he, he's teaching about love. And then he goes into 1 Corinthians 14. And so I want you to see this. And basically, the fix for this divided church over selfishness, is love, um, he says. This pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Just hold that verse there for a second. Paul is going to link love to prophecy. This is, this is mind blowing. Because when I think of prophecy, I'll just be honest with you. I think of you know like Gandalf. You know what I mean? And he's got his hand over a palantir. You know what I mean? He's like the crystal ball, right? And he's just like. That's what I think, it's spooky, it's like, I got a word for you, Lord's sending you to the Siberian front. You've been a naughty, naughty boy. You know, like, we think of spooky things. Okay, prophecy, ooh, you know, oh, you know, people that hear audible voices and they wear long white trench coats, I don't know. But Paul's gonna go, hey, your church is divided over love, so I want you to pursue love, but he's gonna connect this now, into this one spiritual gift and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. My question to you personally today is, do you earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy? Okay, because this is gonna be tied to your pursuit of love. Let's keep reading. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him but he utters mysteries in the spirit. I mean, amen. When you're yabba-dabba-doing, I don't know what you're talking about. You're not helping me. You're speaking to God, right? And that's cool. And and we're going to highlight that in a moment. Let's keep reading. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people. So it's an other's gift, okay? For their... Upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. My dad calls this, uh, or, um, or or says it in this way: build up, stir up, cheer up. That's prophecy. If you're looking for a biblical definition of New Testament prophecy, it's right there. You're speaking to people and you're building them up in their faith, stirring them up in their calling, and when they leave you, they're smiling. Right? You're not like a, a parking lot prophetic assassin. <laughs> right? Like that, the, the, Or the grumpy prophetic assassin on Facebook. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I was reading the book of Proverbs, and I just really felt like this was for you. You know, a fool utters all their mouth. <laughs> like, Try that on, buddy. Maybe it's for you, you know? (laughs) Those backhanded encouragements, you know? (laughs) Build up, stir up, cheer up. Guys, what this means for you is that you can do this with your eyes open at the construction job. You just build them up, stir them up, up, you're prophesying. You hearing me here? Yes. That's this is love in action. Yeah. This is love. Thomas Aquinas called the Holy Spirit the love of God, and he called Jesus the wisdom of God. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter eight: Through wisdom, uh, the worlds were created. The Holy Spirit is the love of God the, uh, because the the, the the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. The, the, think of the language the Holy Spirit indwells you. It's pretty intimate, very intimate. It's incredible the Holy Spirit sticks with you even though we're idiots. Every day, Holy Spirit's just like rolling his eyes, going, I'm not quitting you. Right? And thank God that he sticks like that that is love. That in spite of all the stupid things I do and say, He still indwells me. Wow, that's love. And so the love of prophecy then is the love of God inside of you already. Wanting to bubble out and, and come out and overflow towards others. That's what the prophetic is. Let's keep reading. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Okay? That's why we speak. He who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. That's KJV. You're, you're, you're doing that to, to, to encourage. And there's times that you need to do that. Desperately. Because we need all the help we can get. And I don't know, I don't know all I don't know exactly how to pray every single time. But the Holy Spirit does. i got a lot of blind spots. Ask my wife. That's real. Holy Spirit knows my blind spots. And so when I start to pray in the Spirit, I'm praying into the will of God. It's really important. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Corinthians, your church sucks. It's a dumpster fire. And the reason why it sucks is because you don't love one another. And it's because you're fo- maybe overfocused on gifts that are all about yourself. I'd ra- I-, I want you to continue to pursue gifts, but especially that you prophesy. And prophecy isn't about you. It's about other people. And it's about building them up, stirring them up, and cheering them up. And if you'll do that, you'll build the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. I mean, obviously, because your church sucks. (laughs) The one who prophesies is greater. Now he creates a hierarchy. You know, like, make it a competition. Please. Be competitive about the love of God spilling out of your mouth towards other people. Build up, stir up, cheer up. Everybody can do this. What if City Church California was such a prophetic church? You know, have you ever heard that heard that phrase? Uh, he's so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. Rubbish. If you're heavenly minded, you should be the most earthly good person. You hear me? The prophetic is, should not be weird. It shouldn't be beating people over the head. It should be stirring them up, building them up, cheering them up. And that's our building program. What is our assimilation process here? Prophesying. How do we, how do we, how do we grow as a church? Well, the world is in a, an encouragement deficit. And they don't have the Spirit of God. And, and, and encouragements are often manipulative and, and with ulterior motives or they're just scratching the surface, but the spirit of God knows how to use my mouth. And I wanna, I, God, I want to love you. you know, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Cool. Say something to my sheep. Feed my sheep. Do you love the Lord? I think you do. Prophesy. Make this church so prophetic that when people walk in, it's, it's like your words chase the hell out of their lives. And you, do, you just do it with your eyes wide open. You don't need a word. You, you, you have the word. Speak the word. Okay, last church, last church, the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians are um, the most persecuted church in the New Testament. Basically uh, Thessalonica was a, a free city. They had gained free city status because they chose the right side uh, during a, a, a Roman civil war that had happened some decades previously. And so being a free city, they didn't have to pay taxes. When Paul comes to Thessalonica and he preaches at the Jewish synagogue, uh, some were converted, but the most of the Jews were like this we're not you know we're not happy about this, and so they chase Paul out. Paul gets chased by these Jews through the Mediterranean um, the Thessalonican Jews man they had it out for him, but he left Timothy and some of the other guys to ninja disciple, the Thessalonican. Uh, People who had converted, and so the Jews find out that there's this this Christian community now, and so they go to the Thessalonian leaders and they say, "Hey, this is a mystery cult. This is not Judaism. It's a mystery cult. It's an illegal cult because in Rome you had you could not operate uh, a religious, um, an illegal religion. It had to be approved. And this is the reason why Paul met Lydia outside of Philippi, which was a Roman colony." by the river because he knew the rules and he was a law-abiding citizen. So so he says, uh, so, so the Jewish leaders say, they're going to take away our tax-exempt status if we let this happen because that's what Rome had, was threatening in those days. If you allowed mystery cults, mystery cults had to do with eschatology, the, the end times. In fact, there was a, a Roman edict um, that nobody could prophesy about future events. It was, it was illegal. They were so sick of it. Um, so... so Anyways, the, the Christianity, obviously, you know, there are eschatological elements. Jesus says he's coming back, right? So it's like, so the Jews are leaning into this and they're twisting things. And so the, the Thessalonians are persecuting the church. They're like, get out of here. You know, like you're gonna hurt our bottom line. And the Jews are like, get out of here. You're ruining, you're taking people from our synagogue. And these people have no jobs. Uh, they have no friends. Um, they're ostracized. And they're just, they're, they're pretty, They got a lot of questions for Paul. A lot of questions. Paul's going to write about the end times to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and and 2 Thessalonians, it's all these, because they're like, when is Jesus coming back? Can he please come back now? Because life sucks. (laughs) That's their church. Now, Paul's going to, this is, I, I call this church the anxious church. They're anxious about a lot of things. Um. I don't know about you, but I feel like I can sort of, in some ways, a little bit identify with the Thessalonian church in terms of anxiety. Anxiety is fear of future pain. That's what anxiety is. You're scared that something bad's going to happen, and then you're just obsessing over that that negative thought. Um, in the last couple of years, um, you know, a lot of churches had to had to shut um, in Canada you know, there's still major restrictions in Australia. They're, they're ramping up restrictions again. And, you know, in in, in Europe, they've seemed to open up, but, but there's, you you, you guys probably remember that. And, and so there's a lot of people that are, are terrified, a lot of Christians that have been, been terrified, um, terrified of the future. And, and, you know, so then we have COVID and then we have civil unrest the last couple of years. And, and then we have, um, we have uh, Putin in, in, in invading Ukraine and, and it kind of seems like and there's oil shortages and the world is sort of going to hell in a handbasket. That's how a lot of people, a lot of people are scared of the future. You hearing me? Yeah. And what, what can happen at times is people start to get weird. Yeah. They start to get weird. There's, there's been a lot of Christians on Facebook. And look, I like a good conspiracy theory. Okay, but dude, you have posted 93 of them today. (laughs) You you haven't showered in three weeks. And you're living off of a steady diet of government cheese and Pringles. You hearing me? This is what's happened in Thessalonica. Paul literally has to write them, 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Watch this, This this is a hilarious scripture. Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own beeswax. And then it gets better. And to work with your hands has to spell it out. You know those things that you've been sitting on for three weeks? Yeah, so so don't. Get off of them. Get a job. The Bible says to get a job. This isn't a Republican talking point. This is a, a Pauline talking point here to the anxious church. Look, we, as we instructed, we, we already told you this. We're writing it to you. We're telling you twice. You know, don't make me tell you a third time. Get a job. I'm going to end with this. Where's the band at? They, you, you guys still playing poker? <laughs> Just vaping back there. <laughs> that's that's ridiculous. When I when I first so my my parents pastor in a church of eighteen uh, they pastor in a town of eighteen hundred people. Little Canadian agricultural community, cornfields, cows, um, and um, so I moved to New York, and New York was just a a culture shock and um, so I'm there for I I was there for about five years and I had a a panic attack big panic attack like changed my life panic attack and I woke up the next day and things were off and uh, you know my vision was different and it's just weird Um, I had all this deep anxiety I'd wake up every day with knots in my stomach just wake up to that I'd go to sleep with that like I had that all day and, and I began to ruminate on really dark thoughts like like know, am I going crazy? What's happened to me? You know, da-da-da. Anyway, so I kind of developed what my psychologist called panic disorder. And um, so, for about three months, it was just rapidly deteriorating, and I I went and I see the psychologist, and there's a uh, lady at my at my church a good friend and so I I walk up I was living in the West Village at the time so I walk up to the corner of 33rd and 5th Avenue that's where our offices are right across from Empire State Building and go in and and so she goes Nate you can't think your way out of anxiety you kind of have to use your body God gave you a body for a reason and you know so we're going to do some cognitive behavioral therapy okay cognitive behavioral therapy just tell me what to do. Uh, so she's like, "Okay, this this week your homework is I want you to feel your toes and your feet when you when you when you walk. Like when you you know I'm like, oh, I'm walking home today. So you know I, I loved to walk in New York. Didn't like to ride bicycles as I okay. mentioned previously. So I'm going to walk all the way back to the village. And so okay, so I want you to feel your your toes. And you know I was I wasn't being skeptical. Just like you know ex- that's expensive advice um, you know, I'm only suffering um, so I walk back and I'm, I'm feeling my toes man and as much as I possibly can you know like just really get my money's worth um, and, and I come back a week later and I sit down and, and she's like you know have a seat you know I'm like cool she's like okay your homework for this week is I want you to feel your butt against the chair I'm like my butt against the chair. Once again, expensive advice. Um, and she's like, it's a grounding technique. It, it, you know, I want you to feel like your weight, you know, just sinking into that chair. And I want you to be note. I want you to notice things that you, because right now you're all in your head, dude, and you're thinking crazy thoughts. And I want you to get out of your head and into your body. Um, and so I, I started to you know, every time I'd sit down and I'm walking, I'm feeling content. I'm paying attention to things in my body that I never paid attention before, and I think that like First Thessalonians four eleven is it's you know hope does have to do with the eschaton, the return of Jesus, and the the, the Thessalonians are asking you know when is he coming back? And Paul's explaining he is coming back. It's going to be great, and it's it's a relief, um, but. Once again, like, people, my hope is in Jesus. Okay, first, number one, absolutely. Even in my darkest hour, my hope is absolutely in Jesus. But Paul's, like, giving them some cognitive behavioral therapy here. And he's saying, look, yes, Jesus is coming back. And yes, there's going to be no more elections. He's going to be the president forever and ever and ever and ever. And everybody says amen, you know? Like, thank God for that. Um, But but what am I supposed to do now in this suffering? It seems like the world is, I don't know what to do with my money. I don't know where to invest. I don't know what to do with my job. Should I open this? Should I do this? Should I move here? Should I do that? What should I do? I'm scared, because I have anxiety. It's fear of future pain. And Paul just says, get a job. Work with your hands. It's cognitive behavioral therapy. Like, church, what, what, what is, how do we, what, what do we do, how do we protect our hope and be people of hope in a time of uncertainty? Somebody asked Martin Luther, what would you do if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow? And he said, I'd plant a tree today. That's hope. That's eschatological anticipatory living. Fancy theological term for living in the now. Christians, what should the church do and Christian individual Christians do in times of uncertainty? Plant trees, yes. sow yes. seed, yes. open a business. Continue to give your money, build the church. It's what Jesus is coming back for in the first place. I have so many friends right now. Their churches are growing. And it's, it's amazing because God is doing something in the earth, let me tell you. And they are in building programs. you got to be crazy to be in a building program right now. You hearing me? Just with all the uncertainty. And I love it. I love it. It's so earthy. Christians need to be earthy, man. We should be the most earthy, planted, Normal people out there just living in anticipation. And whatever comes, whatever, whatever, I'm going to build the church. I'm going to continue to, I'm not going to be scared. I'm going to continue. I'm going to live with wisdom. Absolutely. I'm going to diversify my portfolio. I'm going to buy a little gold. I'm getting out of the stock market. You know, I don't know. Whatever. You know, but I'm going to be. What am I going to do? We're going to be like the Warren Buffets of spirituality. When everybody's scared, we're going to get aggressive. Because Jesus said he's building his church. That's a good investment. Oh, that's a safe investment. What is Jesus building? Oh, so he's investing in that? Yeah, okay, cool. I'm going to invest in that. You hear me? Yeah, that's a safe bet, and and that's hope. I'm gonna I'm, and I'm gonna I'm just gonna stay busy with my hands building with Jesus. Why don't you stand with me, church? Father, thank you today for a church of faith. Lord, a church that's united in faith, not a church that's judging each other over these peripheral issues. Father, thank you that we've been saved by mercy, grace, and faith, God. Father, we thank you for the gift of faith. We thank you for a, a, a faith that would unite this church like never before. Lord, we thank you for the love of God. We pray that the love of God would bind us together. Lord, that we would be prophetic people that believe the best, speaking the truth in love that we all grow up into him who is the head. But God, people who, who are loving, building, love builds, faith builds, and hope builds. People who build what you're building, building with you, God. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our sure foundation and we can stand secure in faith. And in hope and in love, in Jesus' name. Amen. We so appreciate you spending time with us. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing through City Church California, you can go to our website, citychurchca.com, and click Give. Thanks again, and we hope to see you at one of our campuses this Sunday.